Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, aka that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. At BMI, music moves their world just like it moves mine. BMI is my performing rights organization. They're the bridge between people who create music like me and the businesses that bring it to the public. They make sure I get paid when my music is streamed on apps or shows, played on radio, at live shows, or in bars, gyms, basically anywhere where music is played. And they do this for over 900,000 songwriters, composers, and music publishers with more than 14 million songs across genres. But it's more than that. They help us navigate the music industry. They create opportunities for aspiring writers and composers through stages at festivals, song camps, and workshops. And they connect us with the right people. They're also on Capitol Hill fighting for copyright protection and fair royalties. And they work hard to ensure the future of music. They have my back and they'll have yours. Learn more at BMI.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Built for musicians, by musicians. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a professional website and EPK for your music. Whether you're looking to book more gigs or need an affordable solution to manage your direct-to-fan sales and mailing list, you can use Banzoogle's simple tools to design a website and store that both you and your fans will love. Go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I'm rarely starstruck, but today's guest is a future country Hall of Famer, legendary powerhouse, multi-Grammy winning, first ever CMA female songwriter of the year, Songsmith, who 
crafts timeless lyrics, often through collaboration and sometimes all by her lonesome. She has influenced the careers of Faith Hill, Tim McGraw, Hunter Hayes, and many more. She co-wrote perhaps the most genre-bending single of my lifetime, performed by our friends Little Big Town. But that's not all, folks. This woman has garnered multiple Grammy nominations for her work as an artist, continuing to influence the industry by doing. From Massachusetts, this songwriter writes so eloquently about family that we all feel related to her. And the writer is my social media friend, Lori McKenna. That's amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Okay, so, you know, I, I met you once in the hallway of um, Creative Nation. Is that where we were? I think so. It was like okay. right by a, a um, right by their kitchen. Yep. Uh, yep. I was working with love that kitchen. Uh, Mags and uh, mm. and Luke there, and yeah. I saw you, and I was I was nervous. So here I'm I, so nervous. I mean, why are, are you nervous? Here. That can't happen. You know, because um, you know when you know there there are some people who you know. Uh, there are certain writers that are really good at storytelling. And we were talking about this, that there's a huge difference between types of, of songwriting. You know, you can write um, really, you can write emotion through subtext. You can write uh, emotion through just saying, I feel blank. You know, you can uh, tell a beginning, middle, and end. You know, you can say, this is my, um, this is how I, you know, uh, uh, all, as I say as a joke a lot, you know, like a song, a song is like a commercial for like Swift Jet, where the chorus is Swift Jet, Swift Jet, Swift Jet. <laughs> the pre-chorus is like, it's nine ninety nine for a limited amount of time. And your verses are, it cleans under couches and tables. So smart. And you, you, you do this about things like family. <laughs> You know, like, like I, I, but you tell these stories. Where does this come from? I mean, I my favorite thing is like you describe the room and then people put their story in it. Like you, you know what I mean? Like you, you give like the instead of the general details, you give the tiny details and then you fill in the blanks, right? Yourself as a listener. I think it's just from growing up listening to music like that. I don't know. So let's go from the beginning. You know. Um, Tell me about being born in Massachusetts and who your parents are. <laughs> um, so I'm the youngest of six, which Whoa. is probably like formed me quite a bit being uh. the baby of six. Because I'm always, it's always my fault. And I'm okay with that. It's like, of course. You get, you get used to it. Of course it was it. me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my dad, his name's Frank Giro. He worked for the Boston Edison for 42 years, like, got dressed in the dark each day, like in a three-piece suit and carpooled into Boston. We live like 20 miles south of Boston. And my mom passed away when I was like six or se just turned seven. So my dad, so my oldest, my, bro my oldest brother was already out of the house and married, had a kid. And my second oldest brother, Donald, um, literally was like living away at college and like moved back home. And my brothers and my sister raised me. Wow. Yeah, like so I have a super tight family and um 
all of us like musical, you know, I was the only, I didn't take piano lessons, which I regret. I wish I did. But I just followed in my brother Richie's footsteps because he played guitar and listened to all the cool music, you know, Neil Young, James Taylor, all that stuff, like Jesus and James Taylor, I always say at my house. And, uh, and I just did what they did, you know, my, my brothers and my sister. Did you guys actually write songs together? Never wrote songs together, but my oldest brother, Bobby, um, and my brother, Richie, write songs. Oh, really? Yeah. And Professionally? Rich, my brother, Bobby, did for a bit, and oh. my Richie just never, he just never wanted to, like, that was his thing, like, he never wanted to leave the house, really, with it, but they super inspired, my, I remember Richie being like, okay, you know three chords, so you could write a song, and literally the first song I wrote was about, was like a rodeo, something, like, I don't even know what was happening, like, how I got any of this information, when I was like 13, I wrote like a country song, and I remember playing it for him he's like where did how did you write a country song <laughs> like what do you know about the rodeo i'm like i don't know i heard it on the radio or something and what was the song called it was it literally i don't remember what it was called but it was um it was about a woman a woman who like lost her man to the rodeo or something no idea where i got this information I was like 12 or 13. I mean, that's insane. Did you actually play it outside of the family no 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 no, no. i never left my house until Oh, God, I was probably like 27 before I sang in front of people. What? I have like a weird voice. All my siblings can sing really well. And I have a very distinctive, strange voice. So I didn't think I could sing at all. I just like writing songs. But now that, you're, now that you have your perspective now, do you, would you tell that kid to have started singing out earlier? I mean, half of me would, but half of me wouldn't. Because Why? I think, because I didn't edit myself for like I did never thought I was going to be able to do music professionally like it was never even like in like I just loved it I w- I didn't know a you could even be a songwriter back then and um and certainly didn't think I had the voice to present it myself so I think that I didn't learn to edit myself in a way like oh what if someone hears this will they you know like I wasn't writing, I was only writing for myself for so long. I think that was a benefit in the end because I still don't edit in a way that I'm worried about some what someone else will think. Does that sure, make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if I start, I wish I sang earlier because I think my voice, maybe my range would have grown a little bit more because I have a pretty small range. And I always think when people grow up singing all the time, it's a great benefit to their... Yeah, there's there's that, but if by having a limited range, you're probably writing songs that more people can sing along to. That's a good way to think. You about know, it. I mean, there's because if you can sing the phone book, you're trying mm-hmm. often to to use that that skill mm-hmm. set. Yeah, and that's not really a good writing tool. You know yeah. that that's actually a. I think that hinders a lot of songs. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think your de- my deficiencies have like have built my style 100%. Sure. And I think even the tone of my voice, like people are always like why are your songs so sad, but it's like literally I think it's the tone of my voice. My tone of my voice is kind of sad. Like when I sing, it's like if I sing you happy birthday, it's kind of sad. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the tone of my voice. So I'm really happy, but I I like s- sad songs and I also feel like I write I'm more apt to write them because 
the because the tone I have. It's I don't have a happy sound. When you're when you're 13, you play this song for your brothers, and then you said you didn't really play out until you were 27. So mm-hmm. there's sort of 14 years missing there. I know. That's what I just like wrote songs in. My bedroom, and mostly nobody really ever heard them. So How I, often were you writing? Was this something where that, you became like, oh, wow, I'm just writing every day? Or is it, you no. know, you're just living your life, oh, I've got a song idea. Yeah, if it like hit yeah. me, like if I was inspired, I would I would do that. I mean, I probably played guitar like almost every day, like because I was trying to learn. Uh, and I took lessons for like a year or two years, like 13, 14. But I always would just go in and ask the teacher to teach me like a police song or something. Which is super hard, <laughs> and he was like, "Can't do that." I didn't want to learn the crap. Like, I didn't want to learn the the music theory. I just wanted to learn how to play. Do you know the yeah. music theory now? I know some of it. Yeah. I finally learned the Nashville numbers, like um, maybe a couple of years ago. And I play a lot in Dadgad, which is you like your numbers are so easy in yeah. Dadgad because you can only do you can only go so many places. So right. I know where all the numbers are in Dadgad. I just. Uh, put my capo in a different, you know what I mean? But I I have to count sometimes if I'm in standard tuning, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I know I know very limited amount of theory, and I just hang out with people that know it, and then they tell me what's so. up. When, when you write songs um, at that time, there's, you know, when you were saying that, that you were able to write for yourself and, and not really worry about what other people thought of mm-hmm. the songs, it's because... You know, when you're writing in your bedroom at that point, it's only you writing in your bedroom. Now I feel like when people write in their bedroom, they can't wait to put it up on TuneCore and get it yeah, out there. Yeah. And they don't necessarily have the learning curve of, you know, yeah. they don't have that ability to grow behind the scenes because they immediately put themselves out there. Because it's available. It's so available. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you memorize these songs? Were you recording them? Did you memorialize any of these songs from 13 to 27? I definitely recorded some of them like old school, like the cassette tape thing, you know. The- Do you still have them? No. Oh, no. I was going to say, hell no, hell no, no. Are you saying you don't have them like you literally don't have them? Or you're saying, no, uh- gone. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what they, I'm sure I, I'm sh- oh, I don't know. I-, I have like paper and all that stuff written down, but as far as recordings, I, w- I don't think I have any of that stuff. I mean, this was like, this was back in the day. I remember my brother Richie, like, knowing a guy that had some stuff in his basement. You know what I mean? Because we were entering a song contest. This was like by the time I'm like 27. And what had happened was my brother Donald, that moved home, you know, from college when my mom died and my family all raised me, his wife, Andrea, um, talked me into doing an open mic. And this is like 27, 28. I have three kids at this point. And I'm like, what the hell? I might as well do an open mic. Like, I've already, you know, given birth. Like, sure. <laughs> what, what could be harder than How that? How vulnerable can it yeah, be? Yeah, right. like, right? So she, they literally, like, she puts me in a minivan with, like, and drives me up to this um, open mic in, what's the name of the town? It's called the Old Vienna Coffee House. And um, and my siblings all come. My brother, I'm borrowing my brother's guitar. Like, and it's like the scariest thing I had done. You know, physically shaking, and I sang like two songs. And we all went back out to the minivan. I'm like, and the guy that ran the place came, like, followed us outside and said, "You should come back." And that that's all I needed was like one little sliver. Like, this is someone that's not related to me that says, 
he listened to my song and liked it. And I went back a month later and he remembered me. He was like, oh, there you are. And so I just did, from that moment on, I just did whatever somebody told me to do. Before we get to that, because that's interesting, but you know, you get you meet your husband in third grade, something yeah. like that. You get yeah. married at nineteen. Yeah, you have three kids. Mm-hmm. What were you? Were you? Uh, um, were you working? Were you stay at home mom? Were you able to pick up a guitar during any of that? So that phase, uh, I probably wrote a lot more during that time, believe it or not, than I did even when I was younger, teenager, because. I worked for my brother Donald. He had a company. He had a. He's a chemist. He had a company. I worked part time there, and um, but when I put my kids to bed, I, mean, I would literally just like sit in their room um, for hours sometimes and just like sing them songs till they fell asleep. And hmm. my kids, my my poor th- three oldest kids probably didn't get any sleep when they were little because <laughs> I would like stay in their room for three hours every night after they fell asleep and just play guitar. Yeah, I mean, I, I was asking because so much of your writing feels like it's it's like you're in that room with those kids. Yeah, I was in know? there a long time. So it, 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 you being inspired <laughs> during that time to write and then go and perform it and then coming back. You know, clearly you're drawing from some mm-hmm. somewhere and that yeah. would be it. That's why the word kitchen is in all my songs. Really? Yeah, I'm always in the damn kitchen. So much happens in the kitchen. It does. Why right? is that? I don't because everyone likes the kitchen. I don't oh. know what it is. You don't go to a party and everyone's like everything's set up in the living room and everyone stands in the kitchen. Yeah. So I can't get away from it. No. I mean, <laughs> do you cook? Yeah. Are you a good? I'm cook? not a great cook. I'm an okay cook. Yeah. I can do certain things. Yeah. Like what? Like um, I can pretty much cook anything if you teach me if I have a recipe. That isn't like a skilled, you know, right. a basic recipe I can follow. But in my house, we have chicken a lot. Yeah. I have a, a picky eater. My youngest is a very picky eater. Mm-hmm. Eater, So it's like teriyaki, chicken, broccoli, rice situation. A lot of rice. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so you you come back to the cafe. What was it called? Old Vienna Coffee House, I think it was Does called. it still exist? No, it's gone. Um, I was going to say we should contact them. I know, know, I know. Um, they're getting a lot of free press. Maybe yeah. they'll reopen. It was like a legendary place at the time because like touring folk artists would come through there and like feature during, in the middle of the open mics. And there would be like 30 people on the list and like some national touring act would play for half an hour in the middle. Crazy. And And they would play them on the folk station. So my brother and I decided that we would enter a song into like the WUMB song contest they had one year and we literally had to find a guy that had some equipment in his basement to go like I knew nobody that had gear and things like that um and we each recorded a song and entered the song contest and I I made it to like the semifinals or something cool. so all these things just like I just kept following hope. like hope. this hope yeah um what's the um when you're writing at that time, I'm assuming, you know, that the songs sound like the songs you're releasing today, but that's probably not true, or maybe it is. I mean, what were what were the songs that you were playing in a cafe at 27 through whatever? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think were they country? Were they Americana? Were they? They're definitely did probably you try Americana. different? Did you try different genres outside of that? No, definitely yeah. not. I mean, I'm just like still so limited yeah. at this point. Even today, so limited. No, but I think um, 
I think it just, I, I just, uh, my, what I was, what was coming out of me with just lent itself to, and I guess in Boston, we called it folk music. Um, and there's such a great community in Boston around that. And I also think if I didn't grow up near Boston, I wouldn't, I would be doing something else because that community there is really nurturing where, um, people kind of take care of each other when they're coming up. And that was always my experience with people. It wasn't like competitive. It was, you should do this. You should, you know. Did you ever study poetry? No. And I normally don't understand poetry. Who were your musical influences that made you write with such detail? Because you're playing at open mics. There are people who went up there and are like, sad day, me, I'm sad. I don't have a way to express this feeling now. <laughs> and you're telling things about like, I'm in the kitchen alone <laughs> with nothing but a spatula mm-hmm. and, a, and leftover food in the refrigerator. And I still feel like, oh, that person's sad and lonely. Yeah. But I don't, you didn't have to say... I'm sad and lonely. Yeah. Where did you learn to do storytelling? I don't know why that was the approach that that happened, but that was probably like where it started in the beginning. It was those details. Maybe that's all I knew how to do. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But like I said, we grew up on, you know, Neil Young and and s- songwriters, you know. James who, Taylor was who are a the huge... Great, who are the, who's the best... Artist for you when you were little that you just couldn't get enough of was it Neil Young? It might have been Neil Young, be, just because the James Taylor stuff was difficult. Like I could never learn how to play half yeah. the James Taylor song. And I always was drawn to the the simpler songs, and obviously now I know they're not simple. You know right. what I mean? Um, but it, when you're 14, they they kind of seem like they are. Um, but I was always drawn to like that simpler stuff, and then I got. You know, when um, UMass Boston has that this radio station, WUMB, and they, they had all-day programming folk music. And that wasn't until I was, like, probably 17 or so I figured all that out. Like, oh, this is, like, music I can listen to. By and every, every, five, <laughs> every fifth song, I'm going to, like, get what that person's doing. You know what I mean? And so, Did you ever meet the artists? I met some of them, like, over the course of just once I started getting out and... Playing, you know, places like Old Vienna Coffeehouse and Passim, which is in Cambridge, which is still like a huge part of like that's like my musical home. It's just a Do great place. Do you still place. go there? I still go there all the time. Do you like play? I play there all yeah. the time. Like that's my home base. Like um, it's just my favorite room. Like if you live in Nashville, like Bluebird would be your favorite. Room. Like that's my Bluebird in, in Boston. It's like where all this good stuff happens. From those moments of hope, you. You get you become a semifinalist in a national songwriting competition. What's the next step? So I lost that, I, but I met Marcarelli, who's my guitar player and dear friend, and we've been playing together ever since. And I learned, and that guy that followed me down, his name's Robert Haig from the co- from the coffee house, said you should save up money and you should make a, a CD. Like CDs had like this was like ninety what year ninety eight. Uh-huh. And so you needed like $3,000 to make a CD <laughs> at that point. And it was like it's such a, just seemed like a, like 
my husband's working, he works at the gas company, or maybe he didn't even have that job yet, but we got three kids. We have no business having three children, like, at our age, you know what I mean? Like, we did not know what we were doing, and someone's like, yeah, you should save, like, $3,000 and make a CD. And I don't know how, like, looking back, I don't really know how we did it, but I did, and then he hooked me up with a producer, and I, I, that recorded, like, all those songs I had been singing at the open mics, like, I just recorded... 12 of them. I remember my brother Bobby being like, maybe you should wait. Maybe you should like, what he was saying was, maybe you should have a little bit more experience singing out before you make a CD. Was he right? Yeah, he was right, but I didn't think he was right at the time. Like, I just figured like, this is going to go away any second. Like, this is no, this, surely this won't happen. This isn't going to last. And I made a record. It was called Paper Wings and Halo. And I, they booked me a show at Passim. And I show up and it was sold out. Like every time I did something that was uncomfortable or seemed completely unlikely, it always like it always like brought me to the next thing. Yeah. And each time I was like totally shocked it happened. Like like I never like got like the 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 bitterness side of any of it because I was always like flabbergasted that <laughs> like people showed up to this show like how do you even know I'm here I mean maybe if you started recording in 13 you would have seen more of the bitterness yeah maybe but, so but when you start later and you kind of appreciate each moment yeah because it is out of the wheelhouse you could have had you not been in Boston you said you'd be you wouldn't yeah. have done music so you start to appreciate those moments differently yeah. later I feel yeah. like you know? and I also feel like I'm very practical minded about what my abilities are like in contrast to other people's abilities. So it's like, I know pe- there's people that are just going to blow me away at every turn. So I'm always just happy. At what though? To, like at anything, like playing, singing, stage presence, anything. Like it's like, I, when you, you know. Do you feel that way as a songwriter? I feel like I can hold my own as a songwriter, but I still get scared. I get, you know what I mean? I get scared in a room. I have to talk myself into like, okay, I can do this. Like, even if it's like, I get this, everybody has days like this, I'm sure. But if if I'm not, you know, a great contributor that day, Mm -hmm. you know, at least, you know, I'll learn something from it. Yeah, but there's, there's, well, it's harder in a room of two people to, you know, to see the balance. But, you know, if you're in the room with three people, you have to contribute thirty three percent to be an equal share, mm-hmm. and my assumption is on your worst day, you're still if you do uh, this pre chorus melody and maybe this, you know, the lyric at the end of the chorus, and you added the lyrics in the second verse, and maybe a slight part of the bridge. That's probably thirty three percent of the song. <laughs> you know, if you really want to break it down, I think it's often we think that we're not contributing, but if you're in a room with seven people, you need 14 point, what is it? 14.8%. I don't know. I'm screwing this up. But, um, or what is it? No, six people, seven people be 14.28%. This is the math part. Okay. <laughs> but no, the idea that you, you, all you have to do is contribute that to, to actually earn your yeah, piece yeah, is my yeah. point. Sometimes I, feel, I know I've had songs where I'm like, I think that just is mine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you have those days. Yeah. I have those days. And it's so, yeah. but, but, I've worked on my, you know, like yeah. I've worked on, okay, don't, you can't just fall apart when you get in the room. You have to, usually it have is. Have you a, had sessions where you really just went blank and just did nothing? I've had sessions where I I felt like the person, the other person didn't trust me. Like. Really? You know what I mean? Like for, for not, as a writer, like they, like if, if there's three people in the room and you know that they connect with 
want the other person but not you. I've had days like that, like for sure I've had days like that. That's what, I know we're jumping here, but the thing that I love the most about co-writing is that every song, even in the same day, if it's a two-song day or something, your role is totally different. Like it's just like, like we have to do so many different things like at any given moment. And it's like, that's the funnest part for me is, 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 are you the cheerleader? Like, yeah, if I'm just like the coffee, like, or the wine pourer that day, but I didn't, I just got a just in the, in the lyric and I didn't help with the melody or whatever. Um, I've, as I've gotten older, I feel like, well, at least I poured the wine that day. <laughs> Do you think the other writers feel that way? I don't know. I mean, that's what you always wonder. Because do you feel that way when when there's someone in the room and you end up do, don't you end up feeling the exact opposite, which is wow, maybe I just maybe I didn't listen, maybe I didn't let that other person contribute. Like you don't look at the other person yeah, as I like, mean, wow, they didn't do their job because I know they didn't, you're right. You know, you're you right. never look at it like that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, if, if you if the shoes on the other foot, is that the expression? Yeah. But if yeah. you know if yeah. if the foot's on the other human, you don't look. <laughs> You don't look at them and think that they're not uh, contributing. That's such a good point. I got to remember that next time yeah. my brain like starts killing me like that. There are a couple writers, um, and I know the pop world's different, but there are a couple writers that I don't know really what they've ever contributed to the lyric and music, but may have the best taste in the yeah, world, yeah, yeah. quite so, literally. And yeah. they, they can be in the room and they can say, this is better than that. That's we can great. beat that. We yeah. can beat that. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's like you know, and a great editor can be also someone oh, really yeah. valuable without being the singer mm-hmm. or the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, I'm gonna remember that. See, this is why I love this podcast. Well, you know what? I'll just uh, I'll just come and hang with you at every session and be the guy who contributes the word just. Um, and uh, I'll take my thirty three percent. And I love it. Absolutely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. Full disclosure, Joe and I are both BMI songwriters. So we didn't write this, but we believe it. BMI, we celebrate your talent, value your music, and champion your rights. To all our songwriters and composers, your passion is ours. BMI, music moves our world. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built for musicians by musicians, you can use Banzoogle's tools to easily design 
a website, an EPK, sell your music, merch directly to your fans, and it's commission-free. Banzooka also recently added a crowdfunding feature, which lets you crowdfund your next project commission-free. So think about it. Your fans want to help fund your album, you don't need a record deal anymore. You can just use Banzoogle. So go to Banzoogle.com, try it free for 30 days. Be sure to use the promo code ATWI and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's ATWI at Banzoogle.com for 15% off of any subscription. Um, so you go from, you sell out this show and you have your own CD. Your brother says you should wait. You said maybe he was right, but Mm -hmm. there was clearly an audience. Were they buying the CD? Yeah. So in that radio station, you know, UMB, which is still there and still a great part of, I think the Boston community, um, it just like one thing happened after another after another. You know what I mean? It was, um, it was just me following like whatever like little you know thread I could and pulling on it, but not being like ever all that confident that I could keep doing that. And did you start making money then? Were you actually making more money than you were spending? I made enough. Like I always made money to pay back what I had spent, which was good. Yeah. When you're living week to week, you know what I mean, with little kids and all that stuff. And then I got to the point where um, I would be able to like contribute. Like the way I thought of it was like I can I could buy the groceries this week. Like I made two hundred fifty bucks, you know, whatever it was. And then, but at that point, it was like it was going from a hobby that I had for so long, you know, putting the kids to bed, singing songs or whatever. To you know, I'd, mom's gone Friday night. She's got a show, and that was. You know, it's always the balance of any parent that has to work, which we all do. But, and then it was like more of a like, oh, is this a career? Like, do I do this? Like, and I still worked part time at my brother's company and, um, and still one thing leading to another. So then I made another record with a band and it was called Pieces of Me. And there was like a producer with a band and I'd never played with a drummer before. And I had so many years of playing by myself, like the whole timing thing was a whole other issue. Like, oh, we have to stay in time now? Like, yeah. And learning that, it's like so late in the game. Like I'm so backwards at this point. And, but then that all worked out pretty well and just becoming more part of that Boston community and doing my own shows and traveling a little bit in the Northeast. And then by then I had a manager and someone that would book shows. Like one thing just always led to another. And there's a there's a label out in Western Mass called Signature Sounds. And they were licensing the records and putting them out for me. Mary Gaucher comes into my life at some, like early on at some point. And then she takes off and moves to Nashville. And we're like, we're like label mates and pals. Like we could do shows together because we were kind of similar, like in our songwriting style. She's a masterful songwriter, like unbelievable. And I learned a lot from Mary because every time Mary did something, she grew. Like every time she made a record or every time she wrote another song, she grew. And it wasn't like, I think at that point, I still believe that you either had talent or you didn't. And it was like what you were born with. And Mary taught me that there's so much work 
you can put into yourself in your craft and get you can like you can decide you want to do this and get better at it and like you have that right to do that I feel like I never I just thought you either had it or you didn't and but the work she, ethic was something yeah. that was yeah. and and she moved to Nashville and and just taught me so much just in how she she knew her, her range she knew her, where her voice sat and she you know what I mean and she crafted her songs around that and I just like I just always watched what she did and sort of tried to do my version of of that was it hard to go cuz then you end up going to Nashville after that well, I end up you, going to Nashville you, because of Mary because right. she moves there and and gives my record to a publisher and they call they literally like call, people are always like you should write songs in yeah. Nashville. I'm like I had only ever been there once. Like I yeah, and you know, have three kids and you're, yeah, I had no idea yeah. how it all worked. Um, but Mary, I put out this record called Bitter Town. By then, I have five kids. I guess Bitter Town came out. The same time my son David came out, so a couple more kids, a couple more records, and bitter, I make Bitter Town, and Mary plays it for a publisher named Melanie Howard, and she called me, like literally, just called me one day, like, "Hey, can I pitch your songs around Nashville?" What was that uh, conversation like when you came home and you talked to Gene, your husband, <laughs> and you talked to the kids? Well, Jean knew Mary growing up, you know, growing through this whole process. So, and I was like, "Hey, Mary, like, gave my record to somebody, and the woman called me, and she wants to pitch my songs around Nashville." And he's like, "Well, yeah, sure." Like, even then, we knew like that. I don't, I don't think that's how it happens. Like, I don't think. How did you think that's going to work? I knew people that had moved down there to write songs, so it's like surely you have to. It's more than somebody (laughs) just somebody just doesn't call you, you know. Um, and then she called back. That was that record came out in May two thousand four. She called back in like August, Melanie, and she said, "Faith Hill wants to hear everything you've written." And we're like, "Sure," you know, like it was like it was always like, "Surely that's not what's happening." And then by Thanksgiving of that year, she calls again. I still have never like have not been there. I just ha- gave birth to David in May. Like I have I'm like breastfeeding. And she calls and, and it's or, so country. It's, like, it's, it's, it's like, so you know, this is like it's it's exactly how this is supposed to go. I'm, you know, breastfeeding your fifth child and somebody says Faith Hill wants to cut you just yeah. like nah, I don't think so. And I just kept taking these calls and be like yeah, this no, this doesn't sound right. I don't think this is how it works. Mm-hmm. And then she called back at Thanksgiving and left me a message. I remember her and Mary, Melanie and Mary left me a message saying, Faith cut three of your songs. And again, we're like... How did it feel sure. to have... I mean, <laughs> even, hear, even hearing that, were, was there... If you're not intending to have other people record your songs, were, were, was there ever part of you that was precious about it? Or were you like, oh, this is great. Or did you, oh, you yeah, didn't even thrilled, really know? but I just I couldn't like let myself believe that that was going to happen because what because I didn't want the disappointment that was sure like it was just gonna, sure it's around the corner this disappointment thing like there's no way this is actually happening and and the way I described that year from her cutting the songs to me hearing them was about nine months or so and I was in that you know I went to Nashville by that point and. And Missy Gallimore, who got the songs to Faith, she's like my angel. 
she, she played me face singing Fireflies and I literally broke open. Like I, my face like literally broke open with, with this release of like, oh my God, I get to do this. Yeah. Like I had no, to that point I was like just really preserving. Like I think I was like really just staying intact because I didn't want to like dream, like dream too big here because then I would really be crushed. And I really don't deserve any of it because I, I was just breastfeeding a kid and got a phone call. Like I didn't put the Why well, use the, the word work deserve? Because there's so many people that go to Nashville and they, you know, just pound the pavement. Like my kids are right now, you know what I mean? And but I hadn't done you, any of that. Weren't you, I mean, this is, it's not your first album. It's not like you weren't playing some shows during this time. Yeah, but you, there's such a luck factor there. You know what I mean? Yes. Such a luck factor. And I did, didn't know why I got to be that lucky. Why the, Why do you think you got to be that lucky? Um, well, it's, I guess I don't know exactly, but I, I feel like I have been, I definitely think I was super lucky, but I also feel, feel like I've been fair to the luckiness, like I've appreciated it. Now, doing this for so long now, I feel like I never like ever still think I deserve more. Like than what I work for, and and I feel like I, I I'm grateful for for the for that stroke of luck, and I've had many others since, you know, obviously, but I feel like I'm grateful to to the experience that the the like I feel like I won the lottery and I didn't play the, I didn't play I yeah. didn't like they just like knocked on my door. Fireflies, if you ask, Lone Star. Stealing Kisses are all 100% songs, Bible songs for Sarah Evans, too. And those are your first real cuts. Well, I had never co written. Sure, totally. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, the even going in more blind into the industry, <laughs> you see how rare that is yeah. to have 100% songs. Um, you know, the, there's a practical side of this and where the you know if you have three writers you need to have three times as many songs come out mm-hmm. you know yeah to have that um success i imagine that the did any of the family dynamic change because of the success of you know the first songs you have coming out these are Huge names. Obviously, Faith Hill and Sarah Evans, and mm-hmm. then Tim McGraw and Mandy Moore at the time. Like, you know, they're real artists, and you're, yeah. and they're, start, and it's, they must have all been cutting these songs that pre existed. I know some of these become right. co writes where you're in the co writing world, but how did it affect your family dynamic? Well, and why didn't you move to Nashville? The, I would assume that that's been a discussion over the years, you know. So, yeah. Well, this is a yeah. huge, you know. You didn't play the lottery; you win the lottery. Mm-hmm. Well, how does someone deal with winning the lottery? I think what happened with us is um, because of the kids being so. David was just born. My son David; he's fifteen now. He was just born when all that happened, and. I had like kids in high school. Like we live in the town that we both, my husband and I both grew up in. This town called Stoughton, and they're in high school, middle school, all over the place, right? And there, and I always had this like big fear when I was little that we were gonna move and I'd have to change schools. Like it seemed like the scariest thing in the whole world. So I never wanted to pull my kids out of school unless 
they all wanted to, but surely five kids are not going to all want to do anything like that. My husband now has a really good job. You know what I mean? My dad, I can walk to my dad's house. We can walk to the house Jean Mm -hmm. grew up in. Like We're just so embedded there in that town. It didn't really make sense to ever pull anybody out from me. You know what I mean? Like, hey... I want, mom wants to do something. Everyone pack up. We're out of here. Like, it just never made sense for that to happen. And so, you know, you just take a plane and you go down there. Um, Real quick, and not to interrupt, mm-hmm. but in this next segment, um, what would Luke Laird ask Lori McKenna? <laughs> um, he had asked, what is her favorite high school memory of her Ford Escort <laughs> in high school? I didn't have the Ford Escort in high school. I think I had it right after. He is so bad, Luke Laird. I mean, this is the thing. Um, we went to see Home Alone at the, the with the symphony in in Nashville, and they had like that the pizza delivery car like outside, and I was like, I had that car. <laughs> like literally had that same car. Um, yeah, lots of memories, though, in cars in high school. Don't cars in high school go together? They, He's making fun met. of me because I've never dated anybody but my husband. <laughs> so, there you go. He knows we have had some car experience. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay, so sorry to interrupt. But so, so I can see why you wouldn't want to leave home when you have a, you know... You have a Ford Escort yeah, and five and, children. And-, <laughs> and the family dynamic really yeah. didn't change that much because yeah. you know how long this process takes. Like yeah. the, the song gets cut and then the artist puts the song out, what, what, nine, 12 months later, you know what I mean? And then Faye takes me under her wing, but all this still seems so surreal. And we do the Oprah show and I go and do shows with her and like all these, I'm, it's like cra- pure craziness. What do you mean you guys did the, I, I didn't know about the Oprah show. Well, so. she, when that record came out, yeah. her record Fireflies came out, they were going, she was going to be on the Oprah show and they, they pulled me in and said, hey, we just like, like have this new writer that has never written in Nash film. And so, so I went and did the show with her. So that being part of the yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. Which seemed like, you know, oh, I, you know, the songwriter plucked from, you know, like I was in my backyard <laughs> breastfeeding <laughs> and Faith came along. But in a way, you know, I'm I'm like at home. It's Mary not, goes, not It's true. not the worst. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, like right. kind of what, like Mary gives the record to Melanie Howard, who gives the record to Missy Gallimore, who gives the record to Faith. And it's those four women. If those four women don't do those four things, I'm still in my kitchen. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. What did your siblings feel, and your family, and your friends, everybody from, mm-hmm. you know, your, um, from your childhood, seeing you on Oprah? Yeah, that my family is like outrageously supportive, and always has been. My friends from, you know, I didn't go to college, so my friends from high school are still my hometown friends, and and they all just sort of have, you know, taken this ride with me, like you know, like learning all these things and. Um, all, all been there, like from the very beginning, and still, yeah. you know. Um, so, even from then, basically to 2015, you know, there's you have a number of successes. Certainly, you know, like you know, songs that charted very high, and mm-hmm. um, clearly, you're making a living as a songwriter, but. You know, 2015 comes in and, or really, I guess, you know, I Want Crazy is sort of this new phase, I feel like, 
to me at least, this is when maybe I was getting into songwriting, so I became more aware of what you know who the writers were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, a lot, of, a, a new phase of of artists come in where you have your work with Little Big Town starts to come in right around then. Um, you're spending a lot of time with Creative Nation at mm-hmm. this point. Were you? When did you sign to Creative Nation? I think around then. I was with yeah. Universal. So I was with Melanie Howard for four years, mm-hmm. and then Universal, um, and then Creative Nation. And that was like a big turning point for me um, between Universal, which all, I've all enjoyed all of my experiences with publishers, and um, but Beth Laird who, you know, owns Creative Nation is my manager and publisher and she she's been like a big part of me maintaining like m- my artistry, which is a big part of the way I write and she sort of taught me like to bridge the di- cuz everyone wants to separate it like what songs do you keep for yourself and what songs do you pitch and it's, it doesn't really, you know what I mean? It's like I I just write songs like and and she's the one that kind of taught me like you have to be able you have to like go out and play your shows because that's a part of what you do. It's always the process I've done it, and you write better songs when you when you when you maintain that part of your yeah work. And um, that's got to be hard too because you know if Tim McGraw cuts your song, mm-hmm. the floor is higher as mm-hmm. far as how much mm-hmm. money you make, but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily. The same thing as maintaining that yeah, artistry. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it's the, the for a long time the publishing kept touring going because you know touring is expensive. It's like you have to make especially being you know what I mean. It's like it's funded. It still does sometimes fund the touring part of it. But Beth sort of like has taught me like, but this is important for you. It's an important piece of the way you write and how you write, and if it. If it inspires and feeds that part of it, it's important. You know what I mean. And um, and now we're sort of leveled off with all that. But it the the publishing came in at a time when I pro like back in the day when Faith showed up, you know, in my backyard. <laughs> when all that happened, yeah. I probably would have Parachute had made down. some sort of decision, you know, around that time. Like, am I still gonna put out records and you know save this money? to make a record and hope I make the money back when I have all these kids and everyone's going, you know, college soon and things like that. Um, if music always somehow, when it got to the point where it's like, can I still do this? Something would always come along and say, yeah, you can, you can still do this. If you were petrified from playing shows, at least that first one, and you have people like Faith Hill cutting your songs, uh, what's the motive for putting out music as an artist? I think for me, the especially at that time. So before Faith, I had never, I didn't know how to co-write, so I had never co-written a song. And there was like a part of singing it in front of an audience that I think made the song better for me. Like you, I would learn my phrasing that way. I would learn how to read an audience, like what they were, what they were like taking to, you know, what song somebody comes up to at the end of your show and says, oh, that song about your mother, which is like so personal, so detailed, like so not anybody else's story. Like five people just said to me, like, they like the song about my mother. That's weird. You know what I mean? Like you think, 
like nobody's going to get the song. It's completely for me. You sing it, and then someone's like, oh, I get I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they and had a mother. They have it, a mother yeah. too, yeah. and there right. it is. And so you learn, I learned so much about what I was writing, what I was saying from audiences and from being vulnerable and getting up there in front of them and singing, you know? Not to skip ahead, but in 2015, that's the first, um, you know, you won Song of the Year that year. Um, You also, um, it starts this new, sort of a new level of expectation, I feel like maybe also, because you start having... It seems like every song you write is a song that other people wish they wrote. <laughs> you know? So, you know, not the case. <laughs> um, but you know, you have "Girl Crush" <clears throat> is was what I was going. You know, what I was referring to in the intro. It it comes out, and you know, there's country radio is. Um, is so male centric in the 2010s mm-hmm. and um i don't know if the word sexist is right or what is the right way to describe country radio but certainly a song like girl crush caused a stir yeah. and um it's so beautifully written uh but it's it's a game changing song was it hard to find someone to cut the song and have the um, chutzpah, if you would, <laughs> to release the song and then actually make it the single? You know, I believe it was the second so, single. All those things so. happen like by mistake, though, because so I wrote that song with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay, um, and. We call ourselves the Love Junkies. I don't, we named ourselves. I don't know why, but I'm glad we did because it's so much easier than like typing all three of our names at the top. I was like Love Junkies, and um, y'all can can you hear my stomach? My stomach's growling. As long as it's not on here. Do, <laughs> Sorry. I, no, it's, you want some more croissant? No, no, okay. I can't eat. That would be terrible. And then I'd be. Like, I'm just chew while I, you're talking. <laughs> chew while I'm talking. I mean, weird weird things have happened. <laughs> Not many weirder things, but weirder that would things. Be weird. um, no, but yeah. I, so love, love, love junkies. Love junkies. So we. So I don't live in Nashville, so I always stay at Liz's house. We convinced Hillary that she needs to stay there too, even though she lives in Nashville, and she hadn't had her daughter yet. So she, um, she's upstairs asleep, and Liz and I get up early and we're drinking coffee in her kitchen, and. Um, and I, she's like, what are we going to do today? Because Karen Fairchild and Kimberly Schlappen from Little Big Town are coming over at like 11 to write. And it's like 8.30. And Liz is like, what are we going to do today? Are we going to write before they show up? Or should we just like get some ideas? You know, all that. And we're not good at like the ideas before the artist thing happens. Because with Karen and Kimberly, like it's just, there's a lot of, girl talk and then you know what I mean it usually comes out of all that so I said to Liz I want to write a song called Girl Crush I'm like looking through my titles and um, I had no other thought in my head about that title other than like you would see it like on social media like hashtag like you know like yeah, Girl Crush sure. you saw it all the time and Liz is like it's not like a hashtag thing that you know like what is that even you know 
what does it even mean? And I don't know. I don't think we have time for that. And Hillary came down about a half an hour later, and she's sitting on the couch, and she there's a guitar beside her, and I said, I want to write a song called Girl Crush. And she sang the first four lines of that song. Like, picked up the guitar. She doesn't know what she's playing. She's like bar chords, everything. Like, she just follows her ear, and she never knows what key she's in and all that stuff. And she just literally sang it, the first four lines. And and Liz, who's kind of annoyed at me because she didn't want to write it, (laughs) hears her and is like, holy shit. Like, what was that? But those four lines form where the song is going, how it's how it's six eight, it's it's you know how it feels, just like that. Like she didn't even know what she said. Like it fell out of her face, like just like that. Hmm. And it was one of those things. Like if you had a video of it, it would be you'd watch it every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the the really good writers are ones that can take a title that seems like it means one thing. Yeah, and flip it very quickly. She flipped it, and so she didn't it, even saying realize. Saying "Girl Crush" as a title on its own, my assumption is that you'd write a, you know, a teeny bopper song exactly. because that's how. But it, in in the context of the mm-hmm. the song, it's just it. I could see why someone would immediately after first, you know, few lines shift their point of view. And, yeah. It was Start so. I'm a fan of it, even in the room, you know. Yeah, it was just so smart, and then we immediately thought, "Well, no one's going to do this." So by the second verse, you just go there because surely no one will cut this song. I mean, yeah. I might do it on my little record, like you know what I mean. But surely no one, you know, it's too, it's too tricky. Like you have to listen, you know, to yeah. get this. And so we just went there and recorded it and iPhone probably took us an hour and a half, right? And because it's falling out of Hillary, you know what I mean? It's we're just chasing her and writing it down. Yeah, making sure you don't miss. Yeah, anything. for yeah. real. And um, and then they then Karen and Kimberly showed up at eleven with like a plate of brownies, and we're gonna write all day. And they're like, "What have y'all been doing?" And and Liz is like, "Play them that song." We didn't know if it made enough. Like you know how some you're talking about a song all day, so it makes sense to you in the room. But we didn't know if it was going to make sense to a new listener. And Hillary was kind of mad because she didn't want, you know, she didn't want to play for for a little big town, the song that we just sang in an iPhone that she, you know, it's still like 930 in the morning. Um, and Liz played it and they meet Karen was immediately like, I need that song. Like, so there was nothing. There was no demo. There was never a demo. There was, it went from Hillary's face to Karen's ears within <laughs> hours. And... We would just happy if they cut it, like, you know what I mean? And then what happened was when the record was coming out, they had a listening party, and then other songwriters in town started texting all of us and saying, holy shit, this song is so cool. Like, you found a new way to talk about jealousy. Like, you found a new way. Like, every day we wake up and we have to write a new song about the same stuff, right? And you mm-hmm. found a new way to do it. And we're like, we did? Like, <laughs> And then when you, songwriters start you know, commending you on your song, you know, that's like the best thing for all of us, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, um, I just remember just your the phones blowing up when people started hearing it. And then I think it was a single by mistake. I think, I don't know the story, but I think like Bobby Bones played it or something and like 
it became a single because people reacted to it. I don't know. You know, it just how lived that... on I in like the top of iTunes when iTunes, you know, still was yeah. the thing. It just lived there. You know, it was just there. It was there all year. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It's crazy. But all those things happen by mistake. Like none of it was like obviously I don't know how you could pre plan any of it. But also just the way they cut it, like Karen's vocal, the way Jay Joyce produced it, like the the restraint in that yeah. track. It's not just. Um, it, it's certainly not. It, it's not always just the song. If the perform, I mean that performance is yeah, incredible. It's incredible, and every time she sings it, it's incredible. Did it? Um, you know that having having success as a songwriter. And as a collaborator is one thing, but having a song like that sort of jump around all different genres and was a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that affect you as a writer? Because that starts to be, you know, in, in the pop world, everyone uses the word edgy too much. But oh. on some level, the word ed- that that's a really edgy song, or it seems edgy. You know, how did it inform the way you would write? Did it inform any future writing? Well, I think because I was always careful about not editing because I, you know, like myself, because I had written just alone and nobody Mm -hmm. hearing things for so long that it proved to me like the point of like we, the the danger, if there's a danger in co-writing, it's only, is someone going to overthink this? Is someone going to over edit this? Is someone going to take away this great idea or this piece of magic that literally came out of Hillary? Are we going to follow that magic or are we going to mash fill up the song or commercial up the song so we can get a cut? And we knew so early on that no one would ever cut the song that we served the song. Like, I feel like we served the song that day instead of like, will we get a cut? Will we, can this be played? Like we didn't, our brains just shut that off. And then that all happened by mistake. And I think it, if if it changes your writing, it just proves your your point, which we all know that we're there to serve the song and and I know we have to worry about making a living and all the and staying relevant and all those things, but we have to serve our craft first and or just or just say like fuck it, like yeah, let's vulnerable. do what the song wants yeah, to do. Like totally. <laughs> it's it's also you know I I tell my writers a lot. I'm like you know it's it's just a song. Yeah. So you just go there one. and you, yeah. you can write another one, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. We kind of gloss over you going from being a, a solo writer into walking into rooms and writing with mm-hmm. other people, um, but clearly that's sort of the pinnacle of experience having co-written. You know, um, the next biggest song you have in the your discography is <laughs> "Humble and Kind," which mm-hmm. you wrote alone. Um, the process of writing with other people versus writing alone at this point is totally different. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah, because yeah. you still have your co-writers in your head when you're writing alone now. Yeah, you know, in a different way because yeah, you didn't true. even know that you had co-writers yeah, before. You know, that's true. Um, what is why write songs alone at this point, mm-hmm. and what's the process of writing humble and kind when at this point you're writing almost. You know, a lot with other people. Yeah, I'm mostly co-writing at this, like to this day. Mm -hmm. So, just real quick, because I know I probably skipped over it. I'm sorry, but when I did get, so I did get that publishing deal with Melanie Howard, 
because of the Faith Hill cuts. And she's like, you have to come to Nashville once a month. Give me two or three days, and I'm going to set you up with co-writes. And Sarah Evans was one of the first people I co-wrote with. Strangely, like I don't know Crazy. how she had the balls to put me with an artist or why Sarah even said she would do it. And they put me with Mark D. Sanders, and they put me with Liz Rose. And these people taught me how to co-write. So up until that point, I had been part of this Boston community of like great players, great songwriters, great like just everyone jump up on stage and play each other's songs, like harmonize with one another. No, like I know none. I can't harmonize unless you teach me. I can't play anything except for a little bit of guitar. You know what I mean? Like I play the way I play, but I'm not going to be like, hey, what key are we in? And just follow you along. So I never had that sense of community. I never, like I always felt like I can write with, with, I, I know my songs are okay enough for me to be here, to be part of this party, but I can't jump up on stage and help you with your song. And I always understood that about myself, like that's okay. But when I started co-writing immediately, I was like, oh, here's, here's my community, like is in other writers because I don't have, it doesn't have to be my song today. It can be your song today. It can be a song that we all know nobody's going to like, like, you know, girl crush or nobody's going to get, but we have to do, for whatever reason, we have to do it today. And today I'm the cheerleader or the wine pourer or, hmm. or today I'm the artist and it's my, it's a song about my dog and I'm going to, you know, we're all going to cry or whatever. That's where I figured out, like, I can really help people musically here in the, in the crafting of the song. And so I just immediately loved it. And people in Boston told me like, oh, you, you never co-wrote before. It's going to mess you up. It's going to like, it's not going to be the same. And I never had that problem. Like I lucked out somehow, like, cause I still like writing by myself. I just don't do it as much because I, I freaking love co-writing. I, I love the experience that it gives you. I, it takes me musically to places that I don't know how to do by myself, which is great. Gets you out of your own like melody head, you know, like I feel like sometimes I'm just doing the same thing. I'm writing the same song over and over again. So together, I just always, you know, I immediately loved co-writing. And do, you, do you save ideas for your, for yourself or for certain sessions? I, I like I save ideas, but not usually not for one specific thing or another. You know what I mean? But I will say that if I so sometimes I have to stew like on a night like a title, like I have to walk around with it in my head for a couple of days, and sometimes I'll know. If I, if I shouldn't co-write it, if I should try to do it by myself, because I might get, I might get lost if someone else tries to help me. With humble and kind, that just happened because I was home when it hit me. You know what I mean? And I just, I wasn't in Nashville, and I was nobody was home in my house. My, I dropped my kids off at school, and I just came back and and sat there all day and wrote it. But did you send it to Tim? I did. I recorded it in my phone and emailed it to him. But, but if I had been in Nashville, like when, like Liz, I think called me up and be like, "Why didn't you? What's going on? Like you couldn't, you know, you couldn't wait." But it's like sometimes I think if the song gets you, like when the song comes, when it makes sense in in my head, I have to. That's when I have to do it because it might not make sense tomorrow if I don't do it. And that's happened to that's me a, a couple really of times. That's a really good piece of advice. You know, how many yeah. times have you looked at a title and you're like, that's not a good idea. But if had you just yeah. written it, 
yeah, at that moment, it would have been it would have made sense because yeah. you would have thought through the yeah yeah no 100%. doubt. The the next year you win uh, songwriter of the year for CMA's first female to win that. Yeah, for the ACMs or ACMs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. Backwards. There's so many awards. I know. <laughs> um, when you when you do that, um, is there a shift right now in the you know, and I alluded to it earlier, not so, not so, um, you know, I feel like I was pretty blatant in it, but is country music starting to come around and listen to female writers and female artists again? And maybe more so than ever before? Is like when, is there a shift in music right now? I don't know. I mean, as long as I've been going to Nashville, which is, you know, 15 years now. Somebody's being like, someone's been saying the women are coming, like they're going to start playing more women on the radio. That like I can feel the change. I can feel this change coming, and I don't know what 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 that is all about. As but I know the writers in that town, and I mostly write with women. To be honest, like the ones that I write with are you know Liz, Hillary, Natalie Hemby. You know what I mean? Like it. They, I don't always write with women, but I write with a lot of women in that town. So. The way I think Nashville sees writers, and I would assume it's the same in LA, is a writer is a writer, and it doesn't matter. It, yeah, I, I it will. It just s- matters how good you are. I will say that you know, and and some of the artists you work with, um, Carrie Underwood, Miranda Lambert, Little Big Town. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of women that have the opportunity in the pop world to kind of. Be the point person on songwriting for a certain artist. Mm-hmm. You know, Miranda has a lot of women around her to write her albums. Yeah. You know, uh, and she does it all her. She organizes it herself. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the there are a lot of men writing a lot of a lot of female projects in L.A. Or you know, it'll be three guys and a female. Mm-hmm. It won't be, you know, um, it won't necessarily be. One guy in the room ever. Yeah. It's rarely that. I can't remember. I don't know if I've ever been in a session where I'm one of four people and I'm the only guy. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and I, I feel like there's, uh, and, and conversely, you know, write, writing uh, the Tim McGraw song, you know, or uh, Nicole writing Tequila. Mm-hmm. Te- you know, like these mm-hmm. songs don't necessarily, um, you know, I don't know that many male pop songs that have a lot of female writers on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there are obviously some, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the famously, Ace- Julia has done that a right. lot. You know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. there aren't there aren't a ton of female writers that have that opportunity. I think here. like the ACM thing because when that happened, uh, well, that the ACM award came after Humble and Kind, so I think that was a representation of like here's this songwriter that wrote this song by herself and maybe that's where that came from but I remember my sister calling me like how did Dolly Parton ever win this award or Loretta Lynn win this songwriting award this you know songwriter of the year award but the the history of that is that award had only been around for like the last 10 years so it's like it's not really in the history of ACMs is this the first woman 
who won Songwriter of the Year. It's in it's it's a ten year old award or seven years. It's only been around for a for so it's it's a shorter time period. Still the first. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um. Do you you know we're recording this in your hotel room the um, the day before the 2020 Grammys? Mm-hmm. Um, you are again nominated in multiple categories for Song of the Year, Country Song of the Year. You've been nominated as an artist. Do any of the nominations mean? more than others does it all feel surreal are you getting used to getting nominated do you get disappointed when a year goes on and you don't get a nomination no there was a, the a, like two not last year but the year before we were at home and we my husband and I watching the grammy he's like are you sad you're not there i'm like no like i still can't believe we ever i ever get to get to go here like these nominations were why, like we were shocked. We were all on the phone with each other. Um, the day the nominations came out, I didn't even know. Like I wasn't even aware they were coming out that day. I should have been, but I didn't know that. You know that they were coming. I happened to be in Nashville for board meetings, and um, and and I guess Hillary called about or Liz called about the Miranda song. Like, oh my God, Miranda's song is like nominated for Song of the Year, which was. We were shocked. It was 15 on the chart at the time. So you figure for to be nominated for Song of the Year, it's got to be like a hit. It's got to have time for it to be a smash. The same day, it was also like dropped. It was uh, the single was not mm. pulled, but cumin. I don't know all the things, but like the radio people decided it's not researching. We'll we'll let it go. Like the same day, and um, and we're all on the phone together. And Hillary and I'm talking to Hillary about we're gonna have really good seats because the Gaga song is overall song of the year. But I didn't say those words out loud, and she's like, "Why? Well, what would you with the country people like country's pretell?" And and we're talking about two different things because she doesn't know about the overall song of the year with the Lady Gaga song, and then she's got another nomination for visual whatever the because the end credit song Hillary wrote as well, and it was just like the three of us on the phone back and forth being like, is this really happening? We really get to go again, you know? So even when you know, like, there's no, we won't, we won't win. You have to, like, the nomination is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have to come and... and, You've you've won Grammys before. What do you do with the actual trophies? (laughs) They're on my piano in my living room that I can't play. Do you dust them? (laughs) I do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of course, um, as you should. I do. Um, you know, I I have. Uh, we'll, we'll go to this last segment, which is going to be five for five. I'm going to list five things, okay. and you're just going to tell me the first five because <laughs> I know it's a busy time. So um, uh, we're going to go. Let's go with Liz Rose, your first collaborator. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute, can we? Because I listen to this podcast. Sometimes yeah. it's a one-word answer, and sometimes it's a sentence or a paragraph. Yeah. Which do you want? Which do you want it to be? I, it just depends let's, on... Let's the- go with one one-word answer, <laughs> unless there are more. Okay, um, let's go, uh- <laughs> Liz is a wizard. I think she's a wizard. Yeah, she really she is. She is, like, the wizard. Yeah. I mean, we're both on the NMPA board thing, she's- and so we... 
She was also like my m- maybe my first or second co-write ever really? in Nashville. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, she, she's just not. You, you never. You could never look at Liz Rose, sit with her, talk to her, and 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 not. Um, you wouldn't think that she's one of the most accomplished songwriters mm-hmm. because she just doesn't. She doesn't have the, you know, she's not like showy. No, no. Like no. you just don't. You just, she, it's, I yeah. just love. She's great. She's the best. She's she's definitely a wizard because she she really knows every aspect. She knows what behind the curtain, in front of the curtain, everything. She just knows it all. It, it would be wrong for me not to ask then Hillary Lindsay. Hundred percent genius. I believe she is a she is the most genius songwriter I've ever been around. And I tell her that all the time. She thinks I'm full of shit, but I'm, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I think I've seen magic flow out of her. Um, I'm sure Luke would be offended by that, but let's go with Luke. <laughs> let's go with Luke and Beth Laird next. Um, just they're they are the best. They they Beth has been so much to me. You know, I love them on many levels, like just as humans, but creatively and um, business-wise, because I'm not so good at the business part, they've been just really instrumental in, in, in what I get to do and have made a lot of things happen for me. And I love them. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. Angels. Yeah. Freaking love them. I love those McGraws. They're the best. I literally, I don't know. I mean, without Faith, I, you know... I, I have a different career. You know what I mean? I have, or I don't have the, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. Like working at Dunkin' Donuts maybe because yeah. I love coffee. But um, <laughs> And they, donuts. I mean, donuts are cool. Yeah. I don't know how I got so lucky for Faith Hill to be my guardian angel, but she's like my angel on earth. Uh, and finally, Gene McKenna. Gene. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> he puts up a, a lot from me. Um, he, you know, the whole balancing thing, which I, you know, I lose balance sometimes and he, he's just always, he's there for the party. He's always there. He's hundred percent. Yeah. What's advice you'd give to a young writer? Well, yeah, I would say that you have to be able to sing your songs, not all of them, but you have to be able, even if you don't think you can sing, I think you have to be able to, to interpret your songs I think you can't expect anything from the business because you don't ever, I don't know anybody that would get into this now that is is not doing it because they love the craft of songs. Totally. There's no other reason to do it. And I've talked to, you know, the kids at, at Berkeley, you know, in Boston during the summer camps and things sometimes. And, you know, back in the day, maybe you could go into this, Thinking, oh, I'll make a, I'll make a great living writing songs, but I don't think it makes sense for anybody to go in it now thinking that because of how everything has changed. I was never on the, you know, the the side of. I never had a song that made you know so much money like they did back in the day. So I didn't mi- I didn't miss it. You know what I mean? Because I never knew it was coming. But the way. The, the way the industry has changed so much for writers, like I can't imagine anybody wanting to hustle and grind so hard for something that they didn't love. Like if you weren't gonna be 90 years old somewhere still wanting to write a fucking song, like there's no way you should start now. 
and unless you love it that much. Totally. Do you know what the hero's journey is? No. Have you ever heard that? It's it's sort of a you know it's a, a Greek way of telling a story where you have the hero leaves home because an incident happens, and um, somebody tells them along the way, they, they come across a bunch of mentors. This is sort of what Star Wars is based on. A lot of movies are this. But they leave home because somebody says, you have to leave home. And you, and you, you don't know the journey, but people along the way show you the journey. Mm-hmm. And you learn and you, you become the expert and you come back home with the experiences you've had mm-hmm. and you know, you become sort of the hero who comes home. You know, it can be a uh a drama, it can be a tragedy, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, and you have a cafe manager and Mary and Missy and Faith and mm-hmm. all these people along the way who've who there's there's just not such there it's rare that you come across a real human who has a real hero's journey but to go from you know you're breastfeeding your fifth child to having a you know the faith hill hearing the music it's because of all these mentors along the way including faith yeah to to bring you to the grammys yet again you know, the hero's mm-hmm. journey is still going mm-hmm. for you. But it's so clear that you're the hero in a really cool story. <laughs> and it, it's fun to it's fun to watch because they're, you know, like I said, I can name the three or four other writers where I, you know, where I, there are two or three songs that I wish I wrote. You know, mm-hmm. I don't normally wish I wrote songs. I normally am critical of the songs and think that I could have written it better. And it's not this it's rare that you come across people who have, you know, both the skill set and the I hate this word, but stick to itiveness, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm-hmm. to get through being to being a songwriter in an era where it's not really about money. You know, yeah. and it's hard to be an artist when everybody wants. You know, it would have been easy to, as you said, Nashville up the song. I mean, we do the same thing here, where it's yeah. like it could be a really good song, and people just screw it up because, you know, how does somebody write a day in the life or yeah. yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. You know, those songs don't get yeah. written now because somebody in there is like, well, we can't release a yeah. song that long. Yeah. Barry Dean that, says that you know. all the time. He's like, he's taught me so much too. But it's like, you know, if someone said, you know, Mother Mary, you know, speaking word, like, it's somebody would be like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, totally. like that. But I do appreciate the person in the room also that has that brain. That like, if you can write a song, like you said, like that people can sing along to. There's, there's something to that too that's important. Like, you, I feel like you have to like, you have to be mindful of those things without going you know overboard in any direction it's yeah. like that's why the thing about songs is they're never going to get boring like to us we're never going to know how to do it 100% like we're never going to be able to learn everything we're just going to have to keep following it it's like the greatest thing in the world when you yeah, think about it totally you know? well thank you for doing this thank you I for having it. me I'm so excited <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. 
If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.